Open your Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we are going to finish up our series on Up in Arms. I hope you have uh, enjoyed it. Man, it's uh, been a very revealing uh, series of messages from uh, Ephesians 6 on spiritual warfare. And it's really worked on my life. So if it's worked on your heart and chipped at the edges in your life half as much as mine, then we have scored a major victory. But uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 on the last piece of armor. It's likely I'm going to revisit this chapter uh, in 2013 to talk about prayer, to do a standalone message on prayer. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hit that at the beginning of the year. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And let me read it and then we'll kind of, and then I'll pray and then I'll launch. It says in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation, which we talked about that last week, and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let me just pray as we prepare our hearts for the word. God, thank you so much uh, for this morning and, and just for another opportunity to be in the word and to be together in community and just to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and his life in us. And I thank you that the promises as we make our hearts available, you will plant the seed of the word deeply in our heart and it will bear much fruit. God, I pray that the words that I speak, uh, that the demeanor, that the, the way that the Bible is taught and preached today would be honoring and glorifying to you. May the message be preeminent in our life, not the messenger. And, uh, and God, lead us ultimately to your son and his feet and our worship of him we thank you for him in this world and in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of our message today is obviously the sword of the spirit. We could tell uh, from this passage that the sword of the spirit is the Bible and it's scripture. And you know what I've, what I've thought about as I was writing this message is I thought about, you know, when you're surrounded by enemies in your life, I mean real enemies, weapons become amazingly relevant. Now, if we were never surrounded by enemies, if there was no armies or, or bad things that happened in the world, then we wouldn't want weapons because we're peace-loving people. But in a dangerous world, weapons are very, very important. And I was thinking about uh, the storm that hit uh, the East Coast in New Jersey and the dilapidated homes and all that's going on over there. And one of the problems that they're really struggling with is looting. And these looters are coming into these homes of people at their most vulnerable times and they're stealing stuff out of their homes. And I really appreciated the sign that, was, that one guy put in front of his dilapidated home, big old massive sign made of wood, and it said, to the looters, I have a gun and I will use it, you know? And I thought, you know, guns become relevant in the midst of storms and looting and danger. It's easy for us in our suburbs to maybe say, you know, guns are dangerous, Batman didn't need guns. 
you know. I mean, Batman had his, you know, he had his logo and his bat and his little rope, and he just swung around. He had a mask, you know what I mean? And that's really neat, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, if you're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, dude, let me tell you something, you're going to want a gun. (laughs) The Bible tells us that in this world we have an enemy, that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, that he is looting from us, And he's coming into our dilapidated lives because of sin and the fallenness of the world. And he's very easily just stealing from us and killing us and dividing us and working in us all of these things in our life. And God has been very honest about this world. God has said, you've been hit by the storm of sin. You are being attacked by an enemy. And so we are not surprised that when God talks about the Bible... When God talks about Scripture, when God talks about the writings of the prophets and the apostles, He talks in terms of weaponry. He calls the Bible a weapon. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. And that's so powerful for us. And you know, my, my, my question to you is very personal. Man, I don't know. This series has been very personal. And let me tell you something. God has really been elbowing his way into my life through looking at spiritual warfare and showing me weaknesses and sin and, and embarrassing kind of tendencies towards pride and arrogance. And, and God's been working on me. And I hope he's been working on you. But my last personal question where we're going to let God kind of elbow his way into our life is as you go out into the world and as you're dealing with this war of intense fury, as you're dealing with the enemy, as you're dealing with demons and and a dilapidated world, what is your weapon? What are you using? Are you using your feelings as your weapon? Because let me tell you something, if we use our feelings and if we live our life based on our feelings, we will get whacked. We're going to get knocked off. You say, or are you using your own wit and your own wisdom? Have you convinced yourself somehow that you yourself are the master of wisdom and knowledge and that you can figure things out as you go? Let me tell you something. Satan's been at this job. He's been doing his job a lot longer than you've been doing yours. Amen? He's known somebody like you in history for thousands and thousands of years. He has Excel spreadsheets. He's got strategies. He knows how you're going to respond to stuff. And he will defeat you, especially if you are depending upon your own wit and wisdom. That is is an empty chamber. That is an unloaded gun, your own wit and your wisdom. What's your weapon? What are you fighting with? Are you fighting with culture and the ideas that society gives to us? Its solutions, its promises that it never seems to be able to keep. All of its, all of its, its splendor and its, its uh, sizzle townness. Is that your weapon to deal with this world? Because if it is, this world, will, it will take you in. It will break your heart. It will split you up. And depending upon the functional saviors and the idols of our time, will always leave us in a ditch, will always leave us bankrupt. God says, listen, 
God is saying to us in the midst of spiritual warfare, take up the full armor of God. And the weapon I give to you, the resources I give to you, is especially the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is Scripture. Use that as your weapon. You are in a world full of tribulation and trials. And God says, listen, this is your weapon. And so what I'm going to do today, listen, this is the benefit of having a former salesman as your preacher. (laughs) I am going to display for you, in wonder and awe, the benefits of the Bible. I'm going to emphasize the benefits of what the Bible is doing in your life as a sword so that you will be motivated or more motivated to read the Bible Pay attention. Make it a central part of your life. And wherever you were at when you came into the Bible, whatever your relationship was with the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, coming in, I want to take you up another level. If you love the Bible coming in today, you're like, I love the Bible. I love me some Bible. I'm a Bible thumper. I'm going to make you a superlatively more awesome Bible thumper by the time you leave. If you came in and you're like, that Bible is all primitive. It's archaic. It's old-fashioned. It's irrelevant. If that's where you're at today, then by the time you leave today, I'm going to take you up a tick. You're going to be like, you know, it's kind of interesting. But I want to show you the benefits. And if I have time at the end, which I won't because I didn't in the first service, (laughs) I'll give you some practical steps on how to read the Bible. And if I don't get to that, we'll get to that. I'll... I'll do a sermon. We'll do some stuff and as I preach through the sermon. But what is the benefit? What, how is the Bible the sword of the Spirit in our life? What are the things that it does? And number one, the first thing that the Bible does as a wonderful sword of the Spirit is it shapes our life. It is life-shaping. The sword of the Spirit is life-shaping. Now, I want you to go back I'm going to give you some high-definition, Blu-ray quality teaching today. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. I want you to see this. It says here in 17, I know I'm rereading it again. Repetition is always good. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is the metaphor for the Bible. It comes from the Spirit. The Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture, it doesn't come from human opinion. It comes from the Holy Spirit working through human authors. Right? So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible, is the Spirit's sword. So the first thing that we need to note, and this is very interesting, and this is so important in spiritual warfare, is that the sword, before it can belong to us, The sword belongs to the Spirit. Before the Bible belongs to us for us to use, the Spirit uses and it belongs to the Spirit. And I think one of the points, it's not the only point, but one of the points that's being drawn out here in Ephesians is simply this. That the Bible is the sword that the Spirit uses on your life before you can use it in spiritual warfare. In fact, there's two words in the Greek New Testament for sword. One of the words is for a big honking sword. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, like Conan the, Bo- the barbarian sword, you know what I mean? And it's like really tall and in those movies, and they take it and they swing it, and you could lop off ten heads at the same time, right? Because it's so long. 
There's a Greek word for that sword. And in the, in, in the book of Revelation, when it says that Jesus is coming back and a sword is coming out of his mouth. I love that picture. It's Revelation 19, you know what I'm saying? And he's got the, on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's riding a white horse, and he's coming back, and it's Armageddon, and it says a sword comes out of his mouth. And the Greek word is that big, long sword. It's a judgment sword. It's to lop off as many heads as possible. But there's another Greek word for a sword in the Bible, and it's for a short, little, itty-bitty sword, a dagger. And the picture we get from Ephesians is spiritual warfare. We have the shield of faith, which is body length. We're all together in community. We're like a big turtle. And we're moving forward like this, right? And what you do is you got your big honking shield of faith. And the sword is a little dagger. And as you bounce up against the enemy, you kind of stab out. Stab out. See what I mean? It's specialized. <laughs> a dagger is a is an instrument for precision. A, a, a dagger, a small sword is for, you know, like I'm not just going to lop off your head. I'm going to take off an ear. You know what I'm saying? In fact, the same word that's used here for sword in Ephesians is the same word that Peter took out when he cut off the ear. You remember that? And he took out a dagger. Remember they're trying to arrest Jesus? And Peter's like, oh, no, you don't. I ain't going to let you take Jesus. And he's like, whack. And the ear caught, chopped off. And Jesus is like, good grief. Gosh, Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on his head, does a little supernatural paste, and says, Peter, put up the dagger. Now, my point is this. What was my point? (laughs) The Holy Spirit is using the word to get very intimate with us and to chip at our edges. Spiritual warfare is not about what we do to Satan and demons. Satan's greatest enemy is not what we do to him with the sword. Satan's greatest enemy is what God is doing in our life and what God is speaking into our life. Look at this. Look at this small dagger in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged short sword, dagger sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. See, the sword is the, is the precise uh, surgical instrument that the Holy Spirit is using to get to your thoughts, to get to your intentions, to get to your soul, to divide marrow. You see what I'm saying? It reminds me of Michelangelo. When Michelangelo, he looked at a big block of, of, of stone. And he said about this big block of stone, he says, Moses is in that stone. And everybody looked at Michelangelo or Mickey, Michelangelo or however they say it on the East Coast. They looked at Michelangelo. They're like, you're crazy, man. It's a block of stone. There ain't nobody off in that stone. Because they were kind of ghetto like that. But anyways. <laughs> and... and, and uh, and he was like, brothers, let me tell you something. Moses is in that stone. And he took out his chisel and his daggers, you know. 
And he starts hammering away and chipping at the edges. Next thing you know, they see a knee. They're like, holy smokes, that's a knee. Next thing you know, they see a big old nose. They're like, holy cuss word, that looks like Charlton Heston. And then next thing you know, they see a big beard. And when he was done, they looked at it and they said, Moses was in that stone. And it says that Michelangelo slapped the knee and said to Moses, live. I know, it's like Shakespeare around here. But anyways, what God sees in you, especially once you come to Christ, is he sees the image of Christ. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's shaping your life and he's chiseling. And he's chipping. And it's not always fun. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't always feel good. It's like surgery. How many of y'all can't wait to go to surgery? I can't. Oh, boy. But how many of y'all know that there's times in life when you've got to go to surgery? If you're going to live, if you're going to be healthy, God's chiseling and he's chipping. And it's like Edward Scissor's hand. You know what I mean? He's just he's taking that out. You know what I mean? And he's bringing out the image of Christ in you. And man, that is the worst thing that could happen to the schemes of the devil. The worst thing that could happen in in the strategy of Satan, in the schemes of the devil, is that you would become formed and chiseled and out of the block of your life would come Christ, would come the life that God has for you. That's the worst thing that could happen. I was looking at other metaphors for the Bible, and I saw this theme that the Bible really is, it really is about um, uh, what it's doing in our life more than what we do. And, you know, spiritual warfare is not like, I'm going to speak to the devil today. You know what I mean? The uh, Spiritual warfare is what is God saying to me through his word? Let me give you some other word pictures for the word or for the Bible that the Bible uses of itself to emphasize this chiseling, this life-shaping power of God in our life. First of all, one of my favorite pictures of the Bible is not just that of a sword, but it's described as fire. Jeremiah 23, verse 29, it says, uh, Is not my word, God says, like a fire? And I love that picture of fire, that the Bible is a fire. It's not just a chisel, but it's a fire burning stuff up in my life that I don't need anymore. Burning stuff up. Um, When I moved to central Illinois with my family, we were so excited because we saw all these beautiful trees. There's all these pretty trees here that we've never seen before in our life. And we're like, the trees are so beautiful. And we bought a house, and it has this big, beautiful tree in the backyard. And I was like, girls, look at the tree. And they were like, daddy, the tree is so pretty. You know what I mean? And we're like, so fantastic. And we all start talking in high octaves, and it's really exciting. And then, like, fall comes around, and the leaves start turning pictures like, oh, it looks like a fire. It's so beautiful. It's just you know, trees in the We never had that in Oklahoma, you know what I mean? And then those stupid leaves fall. Oh, those devils, they fall. And I walk into my backyard, and I look at these leaves, enormous amounts of leaves, and I don't know what to do. But being a very masculine man in my household, I say to my wife, don't worry about it, baby, I got this. I'll be back in 20 minutes, you know what I mean? And I take a rake, and I'm thinking I'm going to rake all this stuff up in 20 minutes. It's two hours later, and I am dying. My wife is saying to me, you need to get in shape. And I'm like, babe, I'm dying. And we've got these big 
piles of leaves, and so we put it all in a fire pit, and I put gasoline on it. Now, just really lighter fluid, but you know what I'm saying. And I like those, those leaves on fire, and it looks like Return of the Jedi there at the end, you know. And the fire's just going up into the sky, and I'm exhausted, and my, one of my daughters, on her own, so powerful, she brings me up a crinkled piece of paper, and she gives it to me. And it, I'm like, well, baby, what's this? And she said, Daddy, what I did was I wrote all of my sins on a piece of paper, and I crinkled it up, and I want to put it in the fire to remind me that Jesus takes away my sin. I'm like, this child is brilliant. <laughs> that is awesome. I am dad of the year. So we took that piece of paper, and we threw it into the fire. And I thought about this moment in the sermon when I was going to tell you that the Bible is like a fire. Burns up our sin, takes it away. And it certainly shows us how to get to Jesus so that our sin can be thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. What a great picture of how, that's the worst thing that could happen to Satan. That's the worst thing that could happen to his strategy and his schemes. The Bible's also described as a hammer that breaks the, the rock in pieces. That's also in Jeremiah 23, 29. The Bible's described as a seed, and our heart is to be a, a good soil that's, that's receptive to the Word of God. And if we're receptive to the seed of the word of God and it comes into our heart, it will bear much fruit. That's 1 Peter 1 and Mark chapter 4 where the, the sower and the seed, remember that uh, parable? And Jesus is like, the word's like, you know, the sower goes out and throws the seed and there's different uh, soils. And remember that the main thing Satan does in that very parable, Jesus says, and Satan comes along and tries to steal the seed out of the heart. Satan is trying to take from your heart. What God is saying in the Bible, he's trying to stop the scalpel, the fire, the hammer, the seed. James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 says that the Bible is like a mirror. Oh, I love that one. Everybody say mirror. How many of y'all are so good looking until you look in the mirror? <laughs> I am just, I am tall and dark and handsome. My self-awareness is not there. I need a mirror, Okay. And what the Bible does and what God tells us to do, and man, you know, in our culture, in our society, it is so tempting to only look out the window and see what's wrong with everybody else. I know this temptation. I know that I'm always uh, writing my own, my sermons for somebody down the street and not for my own heart. I know that I love to look out the mirror, feel better about myself because of how they're lacking. If they only had the word of God. Oh, if they only believed those pagans. Those wicked, wicked pagan Gentiles. God's like, you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they are so evil. Look. Hence there. Start talking to Shakespeare, you know. Start dropping King James. They stinketh. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is what we do. And God's like, the Bible is not about you being the doctor or the Holy Spirit or the Messiah in anybody's life. The Bible is about a mirror and what God is trying to reveal to you about you. It's life-shaping. 
You know, I, I remember my grandmother, she was, this, this, she was about four foot 11, beautiful woman. I miss her to this day, one of my favorite people in the world. And she used to have this, this vanity thing that she sat down at every night and every morning to put on her makeup. And man, did she put on some makeup. Hallelujah, glory. She kicked that stuff on. It was very important to her. And she'd sit down at that vanity mirror, and she had one of those little mirrors. And one day when I was a teenager and I was starting to break out, you know what I'm saying? I sat down at her vanity chair, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, this is a pretty cool gig my mom's got here, you know what I mean? And I'm sitting there, and I look in that mirror, and it's just a regular mirror. And I looked in there, I was like, man, I'm hot, because I always thought I was hot back then. And I was like, yeah, this is you know what I mean? And then, how many of y'all know when you flip the mirror, it's got that magnify? Do y'all know you women have that? Why? <laughs> Why? Why would you suffer? God loves you. You are beautiful in his sight. Don't worry about it. You flip this thing around, and next thing you know, the mirror is showing inside of your pores. And it's like Phantom of the Opera in reverse. You pass out at the, at the appearance of your own face. You know, it's like taking off this mask and like, ah! You know what I mean? It's horrible. And I don't know why I'm saying this will not motivate you to go to the Bible. I don't know why I just told you that. But the Bible is that magnifying glass, and you pull it around. And God wants to get into the pores to take away the things that nobody else is going to say, the things you'll never admit, but he'll show you. I'm going to cleanse you right there. In grace and in the gospel and in forgiveness, we are able to look at our weaknesses and know we're still loved unconditional, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that if you believe in Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God, but deep abiding fellowship and communion says, I'm going to go into the Bible, I'm going to look at the mirror of my true self up and against the Bible. Listen, if you look at yourself up and against culture, you're going to look good today. Go to the Word of God and get a true picture and let God in grace and in love and in fellowship begin to change you and become doers of the Word. James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. The Bible is life-shaping. The Bible is milk. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Crave the pure milk of the Word of God. The Bible is it's steak. I love steak. It's steak. It is meat, Hebrews chapter 5. It's light, Psalm 119, 105. The, your word, O Lord, is a light unto my feet and unto my path. The point is, is that the Bible is so powerfully life-shaping. And if I could tell you one thing today that I just want you to remember, it's this. What we believe about the Bible as a church is that the Bible never changes. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Every word, every letter comes from the Holy Spirit. We believe that about the Bible. We have a very high view theologically of the Bible. The Bible never changes. But the people that read it do change. The people that pay attention to it do change. It changes people's lives. And, I, and, and, and that life 
shaping power of God is so important. That's why we come to church, man, and we listen to sermons that go too long. <laughs> that's, that's why we listen to our favorite radio preachers on the radio and we take notes. That's why, that's why we get together in the morning and, and we're, not, we're not laying down and reading the Bible like it's a home, you know, uh, a better homes and garden magazine at night while we fall asleep. Hey. You know what I mean? We're sitting at the table. We got the coffee on the table in the morning. We're reading the Bible. We're journaling. We're paying attention to it because we're looking in the mirror. We're, we're, we're receiving the chipping of the hammer. We're receiving the sword of the Spirit and what God is, the Holy Spirit is precisely doing in our life. It's life-shaping. But the next thing about the Bible, and this is so important, the Bible is not only life-shaping, but secondly, the Bible is Jesus pointing. If the Bible is a sword of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit's using it to poke us a little bit, He's also using it to point us to Jesus. And there's an objection, you know? I mean, we say, you say, oh, Josh, you know. You say that people who read the Bible, they change. Some people who I know who know the Bible better than, than I do, and I spent a lot of money on seminary. And there are some people in our churches around here who know the Bible as well, better than I do. There are some people who know the Bible from front to cover, and they don't seem to be changed. In fact, they seem to be legalistic. They seem to be mean-spirited. They seem to be judgmental. And certainly we could say that there are many Bible-believing churches that are really too strict. They say to you, don't wear any makeup at all, which is insane, ladies, Right? Thank you for saving me, whoever that was, that woman. Just saved me from some serious emails and a couple of slaps on the face. These churches, they get so strict, so legalistic, and they're hateful, and the the mean-spiritness and the coldness and the mechanical quality of their religion. You're like, I don't see any change there. And they're reading the Bible all the time. They preach it longer than you do. Some of them preach it better than you do. And here's my point. Whoever reads the Bible and studies it will change. The question is, will you change for the good or for the bad? And you ask yourself, how can I read the Bible in a way that will make sure that I'm changing and being transformed for the good and for grace and for love and for those those qualities of the life and the heart of God will come flowing out of me and out of our church? How do we come? How, as a church, do we be a welcoming, wonderful, warm, exciting church is when we remember that all Scripture is leading us to Jesus and a relationship with him. Every paragraph, every chapter, Old Testament, New Testament, all 66 uh, uh, books of the Bible, 39 old, 27 new, all of them are pointing to Jesus Christ. And what you have to remember, see, what legalistic churches do is they say the Bible is the destination. The Bible is the destination, and being a big theological brain is the goal of the Bible. But Jesus tells us that the Bible is not the destination. It's the pointer beyond itself to the ultimate destination, which is the worship in spirit and in truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus, of course, had a problem. His greatest enemies were Bible scholars. His greatest enemies were religious people. They knew the Bible better than anybody in society. Their names were the Pharisees. 
They were the religious elite of, of the day of Jesus, and they hated Jesus. He pretty much didn't like them either. And there was one time when he heals a man on the Sabbath, and they come after him, and they're challenging him on what the Bible says and the interpretation of the commandment that you shall keep the Sabbath holy. Jesus says something very interesting on this very point, and he points to the purpose of Scripture. And this is what we have to keep in our hearts when we're reading and studying Scripture. He says this in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 42. He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He, he's literally telling these spiritual leaders, get it, these legalistic Pharisees, these church-going folks, you don't have life. You are dead. Which is, this is why he ultimately goes to the cross, you understand. He says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. This is, this is great theology about the Bible because what he's telling us is that the whole Bible, prophets and the apostles, the history, the poetry, the laws, uh, the epistles, the apocalypse, all of the Bible is about pointing us and bearing witness to our hearts and our minds about the life and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And not only that, I love this part. He is telling us, not only is it pointing us to Jesus, but he's telling us the tone by which God is pointing us to Jesus through the Scripture. And what, according to Jesus, is the tone by which God is speaking to us through Scripture leading us to Jesus? The tone is love. This changes my perspective about the Bible altogether. It changes the environment by which I read the Bible. Because you understand that if the Bible is just, as I've heard some preachers say, and it's, it's partly accurate, but some people are like, it is the owner manual to life. The Bible tells you how to run your life morally. It will give you principles for living. So read the owner manual. God bless you, amen, let us go eat. Now how many of y'all are going home and you're fired up about reading your car owner manual? Oh, I can't wait to read that owner's manual. It's going to tell me everything about the tires and the wheels. What Jesus presents us with is a different tone and a different environment altogether about the Bible. It says that it's God's love letter to us leading us to worship and treasuring Jesus Christ in a total environment of passion and zeal and love. And many of you, I bet, one of the reasons why we don't read our Bible is because, let's admit it, it's just an owner's manual. It's just an owner's manual. You know, the difference in tone and goal, the goal is Jesus, the tone is love. It's the difference between receiving, I'll tell you what, it's the difference between receiving a text message from AT&T. Let me give you an example. I receive from AT&T a notice and a reminder of the bills that I owe. I will read you one of these profound texts that comes on my iPhone every stinking month. 
The text message reads, free AT&T message. Oh, thanks, AT&T. You're not going to charge me for texting me. Sounds so sweet. Reminder, your bill is ready. Try our payment options at www.at&t. Or dial pay, 866 number, and press send to pay from your phone. Oh, that's just wonderful. I want to read that every morning. I want to wake up with a cup of coffee and read about the bills that I owe. I want to read all the texts from AT&T and Comcast and all these things. That's so exciting to read a reminder of the bill and the things that I owe. And do you know that some people look at reading the Bible like it's paying a bill? Like it's a text message that your bill's up, your payment's due. Better pay it, 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 pay it. Pay it. The creditor, the Holy Spirit, will come after you if you don't. Now, what God is trying to tell us is that this is not a payment to pay. It's a letter of love to be received. And the difference is, is that I also get frequent text messages from Sherry. Now, I love to read her texts to me. And the reason why I love to read those texts, I'm not going to read you any of those because you can't hear them and it's really gross. They're hot, though, and they're sizzling, baby. And I love, I love to receive a message from God when she talks about how awesome and my six-pack. There's no six-pack here, none. How hot I am and studly. But I always know that whatever Sherry says, it's in the context of love. I can't wait to read her text messages. I really can't. And even when she tells me, pick up some milk on your way home from work... I always love that, not always, but I'm more likely to love that and to be willing to obey her command because I know her heart. She knows mine. The Bible is leading us to relationship, not religion. It's leading us to the feet and the worship of Jesus, not anything else. It's not about telling you what bills you owe. It's about what God the Father in heaven is saying to you. It's about a letter to you. It's about a revelation to you. It's about, it's about your history, your poetry. It's singing your songs of redemption. It's singing your songs of confession. It's, it's, it's telling you about the power of self-renunciation. If you lose your life, you will find it. God wants you to find life. God wants you to find love. God wants you to find fulfillment and freedom. And the world promises you all that stuff, and it can't provide. It's functional saviors fall short because that's the mechanical world but the loving God, the loving kindness of God through scripture leads us to Jesus and the life of Jesus and it's in a tone of love read it like that open it up I was just telling my daughter the other night she started asking me you know really want to start reading the Bible and we started talking about how to do it and I just said baby you got to open that sucker up and you got to pick a book and read it for a month Man, read it like God is speaking to you as your father. Hear the tone. In fact, oh, I almost forgot. This is second service, so we can go as long as I want. <laughs> Luke chapter, this is so great. This shows Jesus pointing with love. The Bible's life-shaping. It's Jesus pointing. And here's what it says. On the day of resurrection, the two guys are walking to Emmaus. They're really depressed, a lot of melancholy. 
going around. And Jesus comes up and starts talking to these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And, and they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And Jesus is like, why are you all depressed, man? And they're like, well, oh, this great prophet, man. He was rocking it. He was so awesome. And they killed him. And they put him on a cross. And he's like, well, dude. And then Jesus says in Luke 24, 26, and 27, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This next year in 2013, we're going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Let me tell you something. The Old Testament is as Christian as the New Testament. It's all pointing us to Jesus. And I'll show you every week in every passage from the Old Testament how it's pointing us to Jesus. We're going to do on Sunday mornings what Jesus did on this Sunday morning in the first church service like we understand it. We're going to break open the scripture. We're going to look at it verse by verse. And we're going to show how it points us to the love of Jesus. We're going to do that. And here's what it happened. Here's what these guys said after, after Jesus does this Bible study with them and points uh, uh, to himself through the scriptures. It says here greatly, Luke 24, verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? You see that? It's pointing them to Jesus, but it's doing it in a way to where their hearts are burning. They're like, this is awesome. I'm hearing from God, man. I love this. They're like, man, he opened up the Bible and showed us himself in Moses and the law. And when he was talking, it was like, this feels good, man. This is passion. And that, that is relationship, man. That's not religion. That's passionate, spirit-filled Bible relationship. And I would just say that if the Bible points us to Jesus in that way, then the way we should read the Bible is with the attitude of worship. Get quiet. Pray before you open it up. Say, God, show me yourself in the Bible. Let me hear your voice. Let me hear from you. Ignite my worship as I read scripture and let me see who you are, who you really are, And let me see who I really am. And let me see what you're really doing. Man, be devotional in your Bible reading. Be spiritual. Get attitude about it. Tell the kids, shut up, I'm being spiritual. Read the Bible spiritually, not just intellectually. I mean, use your mind. You've got to interpret it rightly. You've got to use it in its context. You've got to know stuff. And that's why you come to church. You hear the preacher. I'll help you to know how to interpret rightly. And, how, and if you'll just listen to the way I preach, I'll help you kind of understand different things and, and, and help you along. But just read the scripture and ask God to speak to your heart. Because it's pointing you to Jesus. It's pointing you to worship. It's pointing you to his feet and his gospel and his cross. So finally, not only is the Bible... Life-shaping, Jesus-pointing, but it is Satan-scattering. And that's what you have to understand. And it's about in that order. After the Holy Spirit has used the sword to kind of chisel at you, and after he's used it to point the way to Jesus, then he gives you the sword and says, all right, now you're ready. Now you're ready to defend yourself against Satan's temptations. 
You're ready to defend yourself against what Satan's trying to get, lies that he's trying to get you to believe. Now you are ready, but you have to understand your heart has to be changed because there are a lot of people that know the Bible and Satan comes and tempts them with various sins. But if they, listen, they'll say, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to give in to the temptation because I want to. So you have to let the word change you. But once you're changed, you're ready. And Satan's going to come to you, and he's going to tempt you, and he's going to tempt you just like he did Jesus. In fact, grab your sword and go with me to Matthew chapter 4. My big red clock says it's 1144. And I just finished the introduction. This is my sermon. (laughs) Matthew chapter 4. The good news about today is there's food right across, so you don't even have to drive somewhere. So we'll have food immediately after this. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. And Jesus is going to show us how he uses the sword against temptation and scatters Satan and his temptations from him. This is what you've got to do in your life. Scatter those temptations. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, and he quotes a scripture, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. See, he's scattering Satan. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. He scatters the temptation and Satan and his demons by quoting Scripture. And note this, and I don't have enough time to go into the whole thing. But note this, he never uses one original word of his own wit. He depends entirely on the Scripture and speaks Scripture into that, into that situation. And the only thing he says originally is he says, be gone, Satan. And that's why we want to learn the Bible, man. We want ammo, man. The more Bible you learn and the more bullets you're putting in the gun, the more Bible you learn, the more you're sharpening the sword, the more Bible that you get in your heart and your soul, when you start to bleed Bible, then when Satan comes and tempts you, your life's been transformed and shaped. You've been brought to Jesus and it shapes you. You'll be ready to swing that sword and say, be gone from me, Satan, because I know what the Bible says. I like what the Bible says. Everybody say like. That's the key. Natural man can understand Scripture. Our natural mind did not fall in original sin, but our heart fell. And it's our heart that's being transformed. And when we like what the Scripture says, then we'll say, 
Not only Satan do I know what the Bible says, but I like God's way. I like his plan for my life. And yeah, I'm hungry and I'm in a dry and thirsty place and I'm in a place in my life when I'm not feeling so great and I'm not necessarily pleased with everything that's going on and I don't always have enough money and I don't always have enough respect and I don't always have everything that I want but my Bible tells me that God is more than enough and that man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and I love this God he has saved me he is sufficient he is more than enough for me and it's true I would like my religion to be a little bit more spectacular I'd like more angels and temples and I would like more things floating around I would like to see more of the spectacular or the miraculous But God tells me that I'm not to hustle him or manipulate him or use him or make him a means to another end. I'm not to test him or put him to the test. God is not only the means, he is the end. He is the gift. And I might not ever have any other angels or any other temple or any spectacular religion. But if I have God, Satan, that is more than enough for me. And it's true, Satan. I was created to worship. It's true that I long to bow my knee. But it won't be to you. It won't be to your functional saviors you're offering me all the time. It won't be to all your consumption and all your stuff. I will not bow my knee to you or your things because I have already bowed my knee to the one and only God who created me and made me. I am a God-fearing man. And I might not be perfect. And I might not be holy all the time. But I know who I am and I know whose I am. And I might not be what I was, but I'm not what I'm going to be. I belong to God to worship him. And if he never wants me to be out of this desert, he never wants me to have another loaf of bread, if he never wants me to get honor, glory, if he never wants me to have spectacular religion, so be it. That's his will, and his will is more than enough for me. So be gone, Satan, because that's what my Bible tells me. That is how lusting people become pure. That's how greedy people become givers. That's how complainers become thankers. That's how idolaters become worshipers. That's how angry people become peacemakers. It's when we stand on the word of God and we scatter Satan and his lies and all of his temptations away from us. Listen, the Bible is the life-shaping, Jesus-pointing, Satan-scattering, power of God and you've got to unsheath that sucker and you've got to sharpen it and you've got to know it and read it now listen quickly here's my five point plan to read the Bible read it question it what's it telling me when I read it plan it have a plan to read it every morning every night whatever it might be maybe both but have a plan to read your Bible don't make in your plan I'm not going to lay down and read the Bible I'm going to be sitting straight up in an uncomfortable chair at the kitchen table you want to be sitting up straight, paying attention, pray it, pray over your Bible reading time, and then share with other people what God is telling you about yourself or what God's revealing to you. And I will show you, God is convicting me all the time. I'm just like you. I am sinful. And God is chipping at the edges every day of my life. And a lot, I mean, a lot of the stuff that comes out of my heart as we're teaching the Bible and learning it together is stuff that I'm learning too. So we're going to do this together, and we're going to let it shape our life, point us to Jesus, and scatter Satan in our life. Let's pray.
God, how good you are to give us this bread, this meal. And we know that you know that we need regular bread to live, but we also thank you that you've revealed to us that there are things that we need. There are things that we need to fill our life with that you can't put on a plate. And that's the truth of your scriptures. God, we worship you. And we pray that you would deliver us from all temptation in our life. We pray that you would deliver us and point us to Jesus. We pray that you would shape our life, that you would look at this, these blocks of stones that are sitting here in your presence, and you would see in us what we are becoming, what you will make of us, and you'll help us to hope that after your chipping is done, we'll be everything you want us to be. Do your work, and may your Bible truly be our sword and our weapon in an evil world. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.